I want to ask you guys a very important question. I mean, this question is like, it'll peer into your soul. It's so deep in its theology and it might hinge your salvation. You may question your own faith after hearing this question. Are you ready for the question? Have you ever gotten a splinter before? Yes. Who has never had a splinter before? Like, you can confidently say, like, yeah, I never had a splinter. Okay, so you all know what I'm talking about. So you get a splinter, like, I don't know, somehow, like, a wooden railing, you go up and you're, like, sliding, I don't know, whatever. Whatever it may be, or maybe you're, like, I don't know, how do you get a splinter? Anyway, so you get a splinter somehow, and it digs into your skin, right? And it hurts because it digs into your skin, and it's, uh, it hurts there, and it sticks stuck there. And then you, what do you have to do? You have to pull it out, right? And if you can't pull it out with your fingers, you have to, like, get, what, tweezers, right? You got to get tweezers and pull it out with tweezers. And that can hurt, too. You know, you rip it out of your skin. Like, that can hurt, too. I, uh, I used to do fencing as a sport, and so when you have the metal blade, it's like the swords and the funny masks, and they hit each other, you know, fencing. Anyway, so... When you hit blades against each other in fencing, they start to like chip and, uh, and kind of get old. And if you rub your fingers on an old blade, I would be very surprised if you did not get a metal splinter. Uh, because metal splinters are the worst uh, and awful. I've had so many of them. Uh, and they're terrible. Sarah knows exactly what I'm talking about with metal splinters. Um, and they are awful and it's hard to get them out and they're just stuck there. Sometimes you can't even see them. It's like so bad. But I remember specifically a time when I was like five or six years old. Uh, that's basically, if it's before five years old, there's no way I'm remembering it ever. Uh, but if that, after that, I might be able to remember it. But I remember this time distinctly that I got a splinter in my finger. And what do you do as a little kid when you get a splinter? You cry. You cry about it. You're like, oh my gosh, I got a splinter. It hurts. I ran inside. I ran inside. I was like, dad, 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 I got a splinter. I don't even know if I knew the word. I was probably like, dad, dad, probably like holding up my hand or something. And he's like, what? And he's like, I'm, I'm like, help, it hurts. And then, you know, he'll be like, all right, let me, let me see. He looks at the splinter. He's like, okay. And then he leaves the room, comes back with the tweezers, right? And that's the worst part, right? That's the worst. Because at that moment, I realized he's going to have to yank that sucker out. And if he yanks that sucker out, it's going to hurt more, dude. Like, it, it hurts going in, and it'll be there, and it's like, all right, whatever, the splinter's chilling, but it's like, he's got to yank it out now. And I did not want that pain. I mean, in reality, look, look, let's be honest. You pull out a splinter, it hurts for like two seconds, and then you're done, right? Like, it's good. But for me as a little kid, I was like, no, that's too much pain. We can't have that. And he's like, let me see your hand. And I was like, no. And I ran, I ran away, and I went and hid in a corner in the other room. And he's like, Alex, I have to get the splinter out of your finger. Like, I have to take it out. I was like, no, it's going to hurt more. Like, no, no. And I was afraid to go through this little pain to have relief, uh, and I just wanted to leave the splinter in there, like keep it as a pet or something, like my pet splinter named Woody or something. Like, I don't know. It's just, like, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to do anything with it now. I just wanted to leave it be. And I wouldn't go through that little pain just to uh, be relieved of it and to be able to continue on. And so my dad came over to me and he looked at me and he said, Alex, look at me. He said, when have I ever done something to you that was going to be against your good, that was meant to hurt you? When have I not done something that was for your good? And I was like, right now, right, right now, you're going to pull out a splinter. It's going to hurt. It's not for my good. And in my ignorance, I, you know, didn't realize, like, the splinter needs to come out. And it's going to feel better, but you have to go through that momentary pain in life. And I think we can uh, think of our Christian lives and our life in general as a similar kind of reality. 
and uh, getting a splinter in your finger is kind of dumb, and it's kind of like whatever. But it's a really downplayed example that kind of just reflects how we look at suffering in our lives. We go through a hard time in our life, we go through suffering in our lives, and we think it's the end of the world. And we think that we're going to die and that God is not good and that we can't trust him. When in reality, we are going through a suffering and a hard time for the sake of being able to be in an eternal life of glory with God the Father. And that suffering that we go through in our lives is a way and a method of strengthening our faith in him and being able to trust him more. Because we're living in this place that's not our home so that we can look forward to an eternity with the one who has made us a home. And so that's what Peter is speaking to here uh, in this passage. So if you would please go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, or your translation might say sufferings or trials, among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. With the household of God, or sorry, for it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with great difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all that you have provided for us, for the blessings of life. But also, God, we thank you for the sufferings in life, that you don't let us fall in our suffering, but you allow us to be uh, made righteous and more uh, refined in our faith because of those sufferings. Help us to trust in you in all things and to give our lives to you completely. God, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Main point of the, or main idea of the passage today, make sure you guys can see. Um, give yourself completely to God in suffering. You could even add, give yourself completely to God in suffering with joy. And that's kind of a confusing statement, like we're supposed to have joy in our suffering. Uh, I talked a little bit, uh, some of this is going to parallel with what I talked about a couple of weeks ago in the end of chapter 2, but I think there's some interesting insights and wisdom that we can get out of this passage that is also relating to suffering that continues forward. I think Peter is trying to continue this idea of suffering throughout the entire letter so that uh, the people who he is writing to may be comforted in their trust for the Lord. And so you have this context where Peter is writing to a Jewish church of Christians who is being persecuted under what emperor? Does anybody remember? What's the name of the emperor? It's like on the tip of your tongue. What was that? Yes, Nero. Nero is the name of the emperor. This guy was like basically insane. He wanted to blame everything on the Christians, and he wanted to persecute Christians to the point where 
Matt talked to us a little bit about the context, uh, the historical context of the fact that Christians were being put up on posts and being lit on fire so that there could be a light for parties and celebrations among the people of, uh, of this time. They were being put into coliseums and they would have animals mauling Christians to death for fun, for people to watch and to be entertained. This was them going to the movies, was watching people be literally mauled. Now we just watch people be mauled on movies, how times have changed. No, no animals or humans were in, hurt in the involvement of this movie. But anyway, we see this persecution of these Christians in this time, and Peter is writing to a people, writing to a church, that is saying to themselves, how can we trust God and how can we still love God? How can we say that we are still in God, in Christ, if all this is happening? What is the point of all this suffering? And I think a lot of times we look at our lives today, and we live in America, and we live pretty comfortably, I would say. I think conf- I can confidently say that we are not being killed for our Christianity, uh, if at all, but at least not often at all here in America. Uh, if it would happen, it would be very rare even to be persecuted for our Christianity. There are people across the world uh, to, in today's society that are being persecuted and are dying for their faith, specifically in northern India, in China, in Iran. Ironically, the fastest growing Christian nations in the world are also Iran and China and India. And we see that uh, Christians in different parts of the world are going through major acts of suffering and they're persevering and their faith is becoming stronger. And it's Kind of logical if you think about it. If you are going to be killed and be persecuted for your faith, you really have to believe what you think you believe. It's very easy to say that you believe in Christianity when things are good, but it's not very easy to say that when you are being persecuted or, or suffering. And Peter's going to speak to that. And I think in times uh, in our lives as Christians, we may not suffer as much as other people. We may not suffer uh, in great... Uh, distress as other people are in the world, but I think if we are in Christ, we should be expecting that we are going to be suffering, and so we're going to be looking at why that is. So my first point for today is that we are suffering in Christ. Oh boy, this handwriting is good. That was a joke, because it's not. Anna Ginter writes Matt and I's notes on the board. Basically, we write them, and then she comes and rewrites them because she's like, it's too, it's too messy. I need to write them, uh, rewrite them. So, uh, but thank you, Anna Ginter, for um, rewriting it in a neat way so you guys can at least read some of it. Um, so, yeah, that says Christ, just in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> Suffering in Christ. Read with me in verse 12. It says, Beloved. I, all right, first word, we got to stop there. Beloved. He starts this, pa- this part of the, the letter with beloved. So if you... Don't think that you are loved. If you don't think that you have a hope uh, and love from the Father, just remember that Peter is addressing this church as beloved. He's saying, guys, if you are in Christ, you are beloved. We already know that you're loved by God because you are in Christ, because he died for you. So he starts with beloved, and he says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as if some strange thing were happening to you. He says, don't be surprised when things happen. Don't be surprised when suffering comes among you. Don't be surprised when people will make fun of you or people will persecute you or people will try and hurt you for your faith. Or if people won't accept you or people will count you as outcast or will count you as the Jesus freak. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be uh, surprised at that either because that's going to happen. Why is that going to happen? Because we're followers of Christ. Let me explain. 
If we are confessing that Christ is Lord and Savior and we want to be uh, in relation with God, we are following Christ in his footsteps. We're following along in the life that he lived. And so we're trying to be more holy. We're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit to grow closer in our relationship with God. But also, Jesus Christ, if you know anything about Jesus Christ, he suffered for what he proclaimed. He proclaimed that he was the Son of God. People made fun of him. People rejected him. People casted him out. And eventually, people would come to beat him and mock him and hang him on a cross for what he proclaimed as a gospel message. And so we see the suffering of Christ. And if we are walking in Christ, we are walking in the footsteps of of Christ, we're going to see that suffering afflicted on us too. Maybe not in the same exact ways, but we'll see it if we are walking in Christ. But look what Peter does here in the next verse here. He says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, so that's just what I talked about, sharing in the sufferings of Christ because we're living in him. He says, Keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. So it's not just that we are following Christ in his sufferings, but we are also buried with him in his death, and we are raised into a new walk of life. That's Romans 6.4. It's on the back of my belt. I always think of that. Um, But we are raised with him in a new walk of life, and then eventually we will be reunited with the Father in heaven to be being able to rejoice with God in his glory. And because we have that identity with Christ in our death and in our sufferings, we also will have that identity with him when we are in heaven. And that's how God the Father is able to call us his sons and daughters. Because we are identified with him. And so we see the suffering with Christ. Look with me in verse 14. It says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So the Holy Spirit... When you become a Christian, when you uh, believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ gives you the Holy Spirit so that uh, you may be transformed, conformed to the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit helps to tell you what is wrong and right in your actions and things like that. So as you go about life and you look at this and uh, this isn't so right, and you look at this and like, okay, this is the way I think that, uh, this is the way that the Bible says to go. The Spirit reveals that to you and guides you in that matter. It's hard to see that sometimes, but he does. And in the midst of trials and sufferings, the Spirit raises you out of those trials and sufferings. Gentlemen, are you okay back there? Like, do you need to sit out for a second? Like, are you okay? Is something really funny and you just can't? Okay. What is funny? I want to know. Is it something to do with me? Because uh, I'd rather you tell me now. If it, okay, all right. Okay, all right. Are you good? You're fine. (laughs) The Spirit raises us out of our sufferings and trials. And the Spirit conforms us in ways that we can see our past sufferings and say, this is how God has been shaping me. This is how God has been conforming me into the image of Christ so that I have a stronger faith and trust in Him. So in a sense, suffering in Christ is actually a reassurance of our own faith. Because if you suffer for Christ and you come out of it and you're able to say, I have a stronger faith and trust in God, that's evidence of the fact that you are in Christ because you have the Spirit with you. That is evidence and a reassurance of your faith in Christ. And so contrasting, doubting the goodness of God in suffering is a reflection of an immature faith that doubts his character. 
if you go through sufferings and trials and you can't seem to be able to see the goodness of God, that might be a sign that, hey, maybe your trust is not completely being put into God. Maybe your trust is in something else. And that's something we have to evaluate as we go through hard times in our lives to see how our trust is being put in somewhere else besides God. So we are suffering in Christ. And then my second point here is that we are suffering in... Anybody want to take a guess? It also has a C at the start of it. It's not Christ, but, you know, it's a different word. All right, good guess. What would you say? Confession? Very close, but no. Uh, Conviction, actually, is the word that I was going for. Anybody know what conviction means? I'll give you the Google definition so that you know I'm not wrong. Conviction. Nope, it gave, it gave me a movie from 2010. Okay, all right. What's conviction? Tell me. Say that. Being taken from your will? Hmm. I don't know about that one. Anybody else want to take a guess? Conviction definition. Thank you. Nope, stop talking. Stop talking. All right, there we go. All right. All right, well, I lost it. All right, anyway, it's, a, it's, it's having a, a high uh, belief. It's having a, a firm foundation or belief in something, right? So if you are convicted by the Holy Spirit in something, so let's say you go steal candy from a baby, all right? You shouldn't be stealing candies from candies? You shouldn't be stealing candy from babies. Max, like, yeah, I know. Like, I had that happen the other day. Um, you should? You should? <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, they might choke on it. Okay. Yeah, that could be a reason. I don't think that's what he's thinking. But you shouldn't take candy from a baby, so let's say you shouldn't steal from somebody. So what's your name, by the way? Maddie? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. All right. So, Maddie, you have candy, right? And I take that candy from you. Are you happy about that? No, you're not happy about that, all right? So, for that correct answer, I'm going to give you a piece of candy. What piece of candy do you want? Just take one. Any other one. All right. So, you got candy. And if I steal that candy, that's not very nice, right? It's not good. All right? And we know that's not good, and it's a dumb example. But if I, if I take her candy, I'm going, to take, I'm going to give it back, I promise. But if I take her candy, and I go out, I'm like, yes, I got the candy. I got the Twix. And then, like, later on in life, I'm like, I'm going, I'm going, I'm like, Oh, I probably shouldn't have taken that from her. That wasn't very nice. That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, that wasn't right. And now you know what is right. So then now you have a firm belief or foundation in that next thing, or next thing, in that thing that, uh, you, that you have been convicted of, right? So now I firmly believe that it is not good to take candy from other people. Unless I give it to you, you know? So, yeah, anyway. Uh, but that is a conviction. So suffering in conviction. Read with me in verse 16 and 17. It says, uh, but if, uh, sorry, 15 and 16, my bad. Uh, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Suffer for Jesus and not for being a jerk. That's kind of, 
a point I'm drawing there. Suffer for Jesus and not for being a jerk. I talked about a video a couple weeks ago that I watched uh, of a guy who, you guys know what a pylon is, you know, so the pylons are like the poles that are on sidewalks and they uh, stop cars from like driving onto the sidewalk or whatever, so like if they do, like stop. Anyway, so these pylons lined up on the sidewalk and the dude like climbs on one of them, is like balancing on one of them, like how do you even do that in the first place? That's impressive. But he's balancing on the sidewalk and then he goes to the next one. He tries to hop to the next one. Can you guys imagine what happened when he hopped to the next one? Uh, yeah, he fell and hurt himself really badly, and he fell on his face. It was, it was quite bad for him. It was pretty funny for me. Uh, I laughed uh, in, in the most hilarious of fashions. Uh, so I really enjoyed that, but I didn't really feel bad for him, right? Like, if you just see someone, like, trying to do something dumb like that and something bad happens to them, we don't really feel bad about that, right? Like, there are YouTube videos. What, what is the channel that, like, does, like, people, like, messing up or failing and whatever. Fa fail army. Yeah, there it is. So, yeah, I like those videos. Like, people just, like, messing up, doing crazy stuff. Uh, generally, it involves some kind of vehicle and then them falling on their face. And it's funny. We laugh at it because it's like, yeah, that was kind of dumb, but you tried it. And so you failed. And we don't feel bad because they got themselves into that. They were doing that, and that kind of got themselves into that. In the same way, I kind of related it to how Peter says, if you suffer, but you're for doing wrong, you're doing wrong, you're, you're being evil or you're uh, meddling or whatever, however he puts it in the text here, and you're doing wrong things, and then you suffer for that, like, okay, you kind of brought that on yourself. But if you're going about your Christian life and you're suffering for doing good, then there's a weight to that. There is a glory that God is going to behold in that, and there is a rejoicing that can be happening in that. And that's because God is shaping us in those sufferings of when we are doing good. So, therefore, we shouldn't be wavering from our biblical convictions. If we waver from our biblical convictions when suffering comes, then how much do we actually believe in those biblical convictions? Like I said, it's really easy to be a Christian when things are good and things are comfortable, but it's not very easy to be a Christian when people are trying to persecute you for your faith and trying to make fun of you for your faith, and trying to outcast you because of your faith. And if people aren't trying to outcast you, if you fit in with all the different crowds, it's okay to be friends with people, but if they never see the love of God or they never see Christ in you, well, maybe that's a, something that we need to have a conviction of in ourselves that we're not living a life for Christ. And so we have to think about that because Peter says that you will be tried against for your faith. You will suffer for your faith. And so we suffer with conviction. Verse 17 says, for it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins for, uh, with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Some people think of this as uh, the judgment of End times, I don't think this is a judgment of end times. I think he's talking about the church in the present time now. I think Peter is specifically writing and saying to the church, to the household of God, to this place where we gather and worship the Lord. He's saying this, it begins right now. Right now, first for the household of God, this judgment, this trial, this suffering that happens in life. So we go through hard times in life and we go through trials. And churches can often be seen in their true light by how they react to suffering. Things don't go well with finances or leadership falls away or members get into fights and disagreements 
and bad things happen in a church and sufferings happen in a church, how a church responds to that is a true reflection of where their biblical convictions are. A church that will often uh, fall away or split or completely get rid of people because of these mistakes and because of what happens in the sufferings in church can often be a reflection of a weak church that doesn't have a foundation on the Word of God. A church that goes through sufferings and is able to keep, keep their biblical convictions is one that is firmly rooted in the Word of God. And that ultimately stems out of the congregation. It stems out of uh, the, the church members. We are the body of Christ. We are the church together as followers and worshipers of Jesus Christ. And so how are we treating each other? How are we treating those around us when sufferings come? How do we react? Do we react with faith towards the Lord that He will do what is good? Or do we react with panic and with resentment towards others? We suffer with conviction. And then finally, uh, last point is that we entrust the one who deserves all trust. All right, I, I was terrible last time. I'm going to try and make it more neat. All right, that's not too bad, right? Right? Thank you. Thank you for the little subtle applause. Um, <laughs> Entrust the one who deserves all trust. We read with me in verses 18 and 19. It says, And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. God has paid a hefty price for us to be in his fold. He has paid a great price for us to be uh, saved and brought back to him in reconciliation. To live a life that is perfect and to go and to suffer for the, for the name of the Lord and to die on a cross for the sins of all of humanity, that's pretty hard to do. Does anybody want to volunteer to go to the cross right now and go suffer and die? Uh, if you raise your hand, you're probably a liar because nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to go through that. That's a difficult thing to go through. That's a difficult thing to accomplish. Even Jesus Christ himself was in the Garden of Gethsemane and three times says, please take this cup from me, Lord, but if there is no other way, let your will be done and not my own. See, he recognized that there was a hardship to the suffering. He recognized that the righteous is not saved by an easy, uh, an easy feat. But he understood that the will of the Lord was for that good will come out of that suffering. And so he said, not my will, but, not, uh, but yours be done. And that is entrusting the one who is worthy of all trust, who deserves all of our trust. And when we, in our times of suffering, in our times of hardship, when we go to other things in life, when we go to uh, other people or other objects or other material possessions, that's not putting trust in the Lord. That's trying to put trust in the world. And the world will fall away. And the world will perish. And the world will disappoint us every single time. But we should put our trust in the one who is deserving of all trust. And then, with verse 19, we trust in the Lord because He is faithful. Because He is creator of all things. And because He does what is right. 
and it's hard to really reconcile that in our minds sometimes. We go through sufferings, and like, for example, uh, so this isn't action. like, I'm not going to say this is suffering. This is more of just an illustration. So if I take an exam, right, uh, the, and I get my exam back, and I got a failing grade on my exam, like a 57. Is that a failing grade? I don't even know anymore. Uh, so you get 57 on your exam. What's your reaction to that moment? You're like, oh, no. Like, I got a failing exam. I failed my test. I got to go home and have a failing exam. My mom's going to kill me. I'm going to be, like, left out of the house. I'm never going to get food again. This is awful. Like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe this. I failed an exam. That's probably the reaction, right? But just more dramatic and, like, you know, higher-pitched voices, maybe some tears coming out as well. Like, that's the, that's the reaction we get out of failing an exam, right? Or maybe you just, like, you're like, oh, let's, like, throw it away. Like, ah, oh, crap. Whatever. Your reaction we can probably safely say is not to be there and say, huh, well, I have this failing exam. This can be a real blessed opportunity in order to better improve my study habits and better improve my performance on future exams in life. That's probably not your reaction, is it? At least that's not what I would do. I would be crying about it, not really, but I would be kind of mad about it. But what we can do, at least going on later in life, if I fail that exam and then later on I get to college and I'm like, okay, we've got these exams coming up. I know what happens when I don't study properly for an exam. So I think I'm going to take better steps to improve my study habits and prepare more for this exam. And then you do well in those exams. And you say to yourself, like, okay, like I was able to learn from this. But it's hard to see that in the moment, right? It's hard to look at your failing exam and be like, oh, crap. And be like, oh, but God is good, and I can have better opportunities out of this. But it's a lot easier further on in life to look back and say, okay, I see how, what was happening there. In the same way, God is able to put an impression on us later in our life through the sufferings that we have currently. Or if you don't have sufferings now, maybe in the future you'll have sufferings, and then later on you'll be able to see, wow, God was really working through me in that. God was really using the Spirit to develop my faith in Him, to help me to better entrust in Him. And the ultimate goal is to be able to go into those situations of suffering and say, yeah, God is good. And I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know how this is going to turn out, but God is good and He will do what is right. So in the midst of suffering, continue to put your faith in Him because He will do what is right. The most encouraging part about our suffering is that God is in control of it. And that can be really hard to hear sometimes because you, you hear that God is in control of our suffering. It's like, does God put suffering on us? Like, he wants us to, to feel bad. He wants us to feel pain. Like, no. He wants you to be able to come out of it with a better hope and trust in him. Look with me just a few pages back in verse, uh, or sorry, chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Just a couple pages back here. More than a, four pages, five pages. Okay, more than a couple pages. All right, there we are. Verse 6 through 8. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while it is necessary, or if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see that God has a purpose for this suffering. God has a purpose for what we go through in life. God has a reality that we're looking forward to in life because of our suffering. And the real question should be, what would happen is if, if God was not in control of our suffering? If God wasn't using our suffering? That would mean that as we pray to Him and as we call out to Him and as we say, Lord, please 
bring me through this trial and help me to, to grow more in my faith in you, as we do that, that would be useless if God was not in control of our suffering. The suffering would be allowed to just take us down and to tear us down and to pull us away from our faith if God was not in control of our suffering. And so we rejoice in the fact that He is in control because He is faithful and because He will do what is right and He will bring us great joy out of the suffering. And again, it's hard to see that in the moment. Even in this life, it's hard to see that. But we're not looking forward to a hope in this life. We're looking forward to a hope in a future life, in an eternal life with the Lord. God has suffered for the purpose of refining and purifying His church to be more like Christ. Is that not our goal? To be more like Christ? That's what God is doing for us. Where is your goal in life? Where do you put your trust when suffering comes? Is it in the one who will, who will bring you out more refined than gold to be more like Christ? Or is it in the world in the things that are perishable? That's my question. One more illustration just to give you guys uh, a perspective. And this kind of helps me because I'm more of a uh, kind of a visual person. If you have life, let's say this line here. That's okay. All right. You know. You have this line here, right? You can see that line. This is life, all right? It's a small line, right? How long do you want to live? Max said 85 last service. What do you, how long, Abby Smith, how long do you want to live? 76. Why 76? 1776, independence? All right, let's do it. 76 years. Okay, that was a really good seven. Uh... All right, don't make fun of me. Uh, <laughs> shh, Matt, I, stop. Stop looking at me like that. Uh, you're, you're no better. <laughs> uh, okay, he is better than... Yeah, anyway, 76. I don't, I don't know what happened there. All right. So we want to live 76 years. Yes, Jaden? You want to live 16... All right. All right, so... It's just a number. We want to live 76 years. All right, so we have life here. And we live through this life. And listen... Bad things happen in life. Amen? Thank you. Holy cow. <laughs> this is a tough crowd. We go through hard times in life. Bad things happen in life. We're in a sinful, fallen world. That's just kind of what happens. Things plague life and make life real bad. It makes us not want to live in life anymore. It makes us not trust in who God is. It makes us not trust in what can be done. But we live this life and we see that there is an eternal purpose to what God is doing. We're living for that eternal life. We get to our death and we become uh, reconciled completely in perfection to the Lord. And we get to be with Him in heaven. You guys know how long eternity is? It's a long time. That's right, Wyatt. That is a long time, eternity. In fact, it's so long that it will never end. <laughs> And praise be to God for that. So if this is our life here, this is our life, eternity, it goes yeet and it like goes across the board and then like keeps going. You could have as many whiteboards as you want going down this line, going down all the way, I don't know, to the next state, to the next, to the other end of the world or to the, whatever. Anyway, you get what I mean. You could have an infinite amount of whiteboards being expanded out and this line continues down those whiteboards. It won't cover the span of eternity because eternity is forever. 
And oftentimes, we think of this and our trials and our sufferings as all there is. And so we have despair and we lose hope. But we're not living for this. This is important. It helps us to share the gospel with others. It helps us to live in communion with one another. But we're not ultimately living for this. We're living for this. An eternity with God. The one who has made us a home in heaven. So how do you weight your sufferings and your current trials in life compared to the weight of glory that God has for us in eternity? That's the question we have to put forward in our lives. And if you aren't in suffering right now, if you're in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you believe that God has died for our sins and you have repented and believed for that sin, then suffering will come. And Peter tells us that. And not just Peter, but this is the Word of God. The Lord tells us that suffering will come in our lives. So where will you put your hope and your trust when that suffering comes? We are not in our home. But we suffer in this place that is not in our home now. To be refined in glory for the one who has made us a home in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this wonderful day that you have given us. Another day to breathe here on earth as we are able to use it to learn more about you and to grow in our love towards you and to be able to share and proclaim the gospel with those around us. God, I hope that for each and every one of us here today that we would not be despairing in our sufferings or in our trials or in any hard times in life, but that we would be putting our trust and hope in you who is faithful and creator and who will do what is right. God, we know that you are always faithful and that your spirit will lead us and guide us. So help us to remember that and to impress that upon our hearts and to trust in you. Not to have sorrow in this world, but to have joy in sufferings because we know that we are suffering for something far greater. We are simply going through the pulling of a splinter so that we can keep going on through life without it. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.